The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. And these stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 31st gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 8th of November. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and take copious notes on player interactions with your game while you are gathered at the meeting table. Uh, our guest this evening is Eric. Can you pronounce your last name, Eric? Jomi. Okay. I want. I didn't ask beforehand, and shame on me. Normally I do that, but I totally slipped my mind. Our guest is Eric Jomi, and he is a longtime gamer and game designer and a gentleman who put together something called Protospiel, or is definitely a, a part of that. And yes. uh, could, could you tell us a little bit about Protospiel? Sure. Protospiel is a uh, game design and development uh, meeting. Uh, it's been held for a lot of years in Michigan. We're doing uh, our coming up on our sixth meeting here, fifth year of meeting here in Milwaukee. I uh, operate Protospiel Milwaukee. Uh, there's another one in Madison and soon to be one in Minnesota as well. Oh, nice. uh, it's, co it's collaborative game design and development. So we get together and if you have a game that you're working on and need help with, uh, there are a lot of other people in that position too. And what they do is we trade time. So you help me with my games and then in return I help you with yours. Uh, Playtest, design, all sorts of things. That's very cool. And can well, we'll we'll get more into the Q and A on that because I'm really really fascinated because I, I want to know more about this because um, this sounds like something that you know you could kind of transplant into other areas as well and it sounds like you guys are are branching out to other cities and and kind of crowdsourcing making better games and that's that's really cool and we'd love to get information to folks if they wanted to put one in their particular uh, city where they live and. Uh, and keep spreading that along to make better games for everyone. Great idea. <laughs> uh, our second in command here is Glenn Bittner, and he is a movie reviewer. He does a show on YouTube's called The B-Movie Bunker, and he's also the creator of the RPG Mist Runner. How are you this evening, Glenn? Uh, good. How are you? <laughs> uh, it sounds like I have a little bit more energy than you do this evening, Glenn. Yeah, I got home at like 5 o'clock this morning. Oh, boy. And where were you? Bladderfest 16. Oh. Or, okay. or we get together with friends and a lot of board game playing as well. <laughs> I'm sure you'll have a couple of stories for us. Maybe, or maybe not. If you're good. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, as always, we're going to uh, roundtable uh, discussions on uh, the game review, game news, and uh, then we're going to have Eric talk to us about Protospiel. 
And uh, right now we're going to jump into our review that Glenn has for a game that sounds really interesting. I like it. <laughs> Hopefully other people find it interesting. Otherwise, I mean, someone else must have because we, we sell it at the store. So this game is from Days of Wonder. It's called Cargo Noir or Cargo Nogo, if you are in Spanish. Cargo Noir is a uh, kind of has a film noir type feel, thus the name noir. It's two to five players, about 30 to 90 minutes. Came out four years ago, so 2011. What it is is each player represents basically a family and uh, that uh, runs smuggled goods in the 1950s. Um, you have, on your turn, you can set sail to various ports. You can go to Hong Kong, Bombay, New York, etc., to make offers on goods that are on display. You'll have goods like cigarettes or cars or jewels, stuff like that. As different people go to different ports, you then get do bidding wars. So I might go to a, go to a Hong Kong because it's got a bunch of weapons that I want, and I'll plop down, say, two coins. Well, then the next player says, well, I also want those weapons. They're going to come over there, and they can put down anything higher than two coins. So they might put down three, and then I can try to up their bid, and they can keep going back more until somebody concedes. Whoever concedes, spends the money, gets all the items, and then can trade those in later. Uh, what the items are good for is as you gain items in your warehouses, you can cash those in to buy other things. You can buy more ships, you have a bigger fleet, buy a bigger warehouse, or you can buy things like nightclubs and stuff like that, which give you victory points at the end because you're trying to get the most victory points. I like it. It's, it's The first time I played through, I wasn't sold on it. played it a few more times, and I'm really starting to, to like it a lot more as I've played it because there are there's more options than what I thought there initially was. And I like the whole bidding aspect uh, where, you know, it's you can drive that bid up, and sometimes you can go take the route that I've done in the past where it's the, I don't need this that bad, but I want to bleed some money out of somebody because they're getting a little too big for their britches. So I'll make them up the bid far enough, and then I'll pull out, and they'll spend way too much money for something, which sometimes you get burned on, but sometimes you don't. So. And I just, I mean, I, I couldn't like anything with the film noir feel, uh, a chance at least. Yeah, that seems to be uh, something that you and I seem to to both enjoy is uh, is that type of theme for games and whatnot. Yeah, and I, like I said, it's, 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 it's not super complex, and sometimes that's what I want. Sometimes I want a game where I am not, there's not a thousand different things to keep track of. Sometimes I want that, sometimes I don't. But, you know, if when I'm looking for... A good, you know, about an hour is about what this game takes. Uh, sometimes a little longer if you're going five players, a little less if you're only going two. I'm not a huge fan of the two-player, just because there's the board's too open then, and there's there's a lot less of the the bidding on stuff going on. Because, well, he went up there, I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, it's it just doesn't it doesn't play as well for me. And that 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 seems to be a trend I find in a lot of games where it's, it'll say two to five or two to six. And the two player just it it lacks something not having at least that third player. Yeah, I, special, I'm sorry, guys. No, go ahead. Oh no, go right ahead. Does it have special rules for two players that make it meaningfully different than three and four and five? The the board is different. Some some of some of the ports are closer. There's fewer ports, but still, it, I've I've only played it twice two player, but still, it just it's the at most you have one other person who is interested in the location you are. Uh, in in a, in more players, you get three or four. Sometimes you get four people bidding on the same port, which means if I bid two, 
the next player bids three, then someone bids four, and then someone bids five. Feedback to me, I'm already up to six before I can rebid. And then, you know, it can quickly become very expensive, and it, it really changes the dynamic of play. Whereas with the two of you, it's just the I bid two, I bid three, I bid four, I bid five, I'm out. And it's just, it's too simple. Or it is, I want more conflict, I guess, in this game. Because that's the, the, the core thing, is, is the, the trying to outbid each other. There's a lot of auctioning going on. And this is an auction game, and an auction with two people is kind of dull. Fair yeah, that's a, common, that's a common feeling that a lot of people have. And I always feel that's a little bit weird, because kind of the classic like movie or book auction is always between two people, isn't it? It is. It'll always start off with that, you know, that, you know, it's, you want to hear 300,000, and there'll be some guy in the back who will do it, and then eventually gets down to those two. And you still kind of get that in this, where you, when you're playing like three or four, if three of you are bidding on something, you'll all start bidding, then one person drops out, and then it quickly becomes that race between the two at the end. But having that third person at times, or fourth person, can drive that up a lot quicker. It also makes you have to think a lot more about what you want to go for. Um, because in a in more players, almost everything you're going for is going to have someone contesting for it. So you really have to sp- play a lot smarter in the, do I really want to bid this up knowing that I'll have nothing left to bid on anything else? Is this the most important thing I need right now? Where in a two-player game, I found that there might be one thing I want, but everything else I'm uncontested on, so I don't have to worry about saving any money, so I can bid up as high as I feel like as long as I have the money for it. There's no, yeah. there's no thinking beyond that. Yeah, I often think that a uh, two-player auction game is often limited not because there are two people bidding against each other, that's the essence of a good auction, but rather because all the stuff that we're bidding on only falls into your lap or my lap, so it's, it's, there's no diversity of results. Exactly. That as well. All right. We've really covered the number of players, about how long a game can run. Um, it looks like ages 10 and up, so this is a a good family game for uh, for fifth graders and, and up. Absolutely. Um, Definitely, I would list this in like that, that gateway game category that you can play with anyone in the family just about. Sure. And uh, what does it approximately retail for? Uh, about 50 to 55. Okay. So, so typical for a... a you know, a, a normal Days of Wonder size box. Sure. Okay. Wow, that sounds like a good one to uh, to add to Family Game Night for sure. Glenn, is there anything that stands out for you in the production quality of the game? Is it particularly pretty or? Um, well, I mean, I like the art. It's it's got you know, it's it's a little cartoonish, but it's still got a little bit of that noir feel to it. I like the little plastic boats. <laughs> uh, so you actually have little plastic boats that you send off to the ports. And you get actual, they're, they're big plastic coins for the money. And I like that it's got some, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're bidding an auction, it's nice to have something that has some heft to throw in there. I mean, bills are fine and all, but, you know, to be able to plunk down a stack of coins and be like, I'm bidding, you know, I'm bidding eight. You know, that's got that, it's got that weight and it's got that size to it. So he'll see that stack there and they're like, ah, no, you can have that. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who are checking us out on, on YouTube, I'm flipping through some pictures uh, from BoardGameGeek.com for this particular game, and uh, we're taking a look at the pieces that are available, uh, some hefty stacks of coins, the different colored boats, 
and the cards and what is the the singular boat there in the lower left corner? The uh, that's Dignified's first player, I believe, if I remember right. Okay, okay. Oh, gotcha. All right, yeah. cool. Very cool. Well, that's a good recommendation, Glenn. I really appreciate that. Thanks. <laughs> and now we're going to move on to the news and... Fantasy Flight Games right now has the uh, has the license for the Star Wars RPG, and they are releasing a new supplement book called The Chronicles of the Gatekeeper. Um, what if you had the ability to learn a very important power? What if you could learn to accurately predict what any sentient creature would do? That's almost as good as seeing the future constantly right in front of your face. Just think how easily you could manipulate people if you knew exactly how they would react. What sort of moral questions does that open up for you? That's a very good question. Uh, these are the questions asked in this new adventure. The players come into possession of an ancient uh, holocron with such knowledge, but it's more than just read book, gain power. They'll have to travel across the galaxy in order to make this work, and they'll have quite a challenge ahead of them. And this new supplement is available now. And my question, Glenn, I know that Board Game Barrister does more of the board games than RPG. What have you heard about this latest version of the, the Star Wars RPG? Uh, as far as what I've heard, I've heard that it's out. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. I don't follow. I, I've gotten a couple of staff who are really big in the Star Wars RPG. Um, one of my staff members actually already bought this. It just just actually just came out Friday. Okay. So I mean, it's it's you know it's brand brand new. So I don't know much about it other than you know it's another Star Wars supplement. Um, <laughs> Fantasy Flight's been been pretty steady on releasing a uh, new product for the Star Wars game. You really have. Yeah, I wanted to take a look at what different licenses that they currently hold. They've got Lord of the Rings. They have Lord of the Rings. They have Game of Thrones. They've got Star Wars. Yeah, they have uh, quite a lot of success in bringing to market very faithful and uh, popular products in the heavily thematic realm. And once you begin to have some success in that area, it becomes increasingly easy to license. Uh, so... It's easy to convince the next license holder, hey, you know, if you sign up with us, we did a great job with this Lord of the Rings stuff. We can do a great job with your Star Wars stuff too. Sure. Yeah, their um, their Wings of War and their uh, Star Wars X-wing figures are. It's a fun game to play. Yes, I was a big fan of Wings of War, so I quite like X-wing too. I actually had a friend of mine build a huge uh, wooden box to have different layers of all of his wings of war planes that he that he had. He had so many of them he needed to, to construct an actual custom case to carry everything. So and Yeah, Glenn, I'm surprised you haven't had a chance to play uh, the new Star Wars RPG. It's been out for a while. Uh, their first book was Edge of Empire, right? Yes. I just I haven't really gotten around to it. I mean I don't have a regular group that I play with for RPG games anymore. So, I mean, I've read a little bit through uh, Age of Rebellion. Mm. I borrowed the starter set from a friend. I was actually going to try something out, and it just never happened. So it is on my list definitely to try. 
and some of my staff actually currently are involved in an ongoing game. So it's pretty cool. I've I've run the game. I've also uh, played in it myself. We did mostly Edge of Empire, and we're thinking about moving on to Age of Rebellion stuff too. Nice. I'm trying to remember. I played the Star Wars RPG back in the 90s, and I can't remember who the license holder was then. West End Games, I think. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Oh, man. It was I think that was probably the second or third other RPG that I played. I was like pretty much strictly D&D, and then it's like, oh, there's other games out there? <laughs> and, too true, uh, too true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Who wouldn't want to play in Star Wars, though? Everybody loves Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Edge of Empire does a really good job. Their first book, they had a very clever premise because the classic problem with the Star Wars setting is, well, I want to be a Jedi, and so does everybody else, right? And we can't all be Jedis, or it gets pretty boring pretty quick. So Edge of of Empire, the first book in the series for the Star Wars fantasy flight role-playing game, is really kind of that Han Solo, Chewbacca, flying around in the Millennium Falcon kind of thing. You play as roguish types. <laughs> like the, one of the early adventures they have is a is a jewel heist, basically. So. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I I think when we when I when I played the the West End games version, I think that the game master said, "Okay, we only get one Jedi in the group, and you have to fight it out as to who's <laughs> going to be that Jedi." But you know, one is the is the absolute maximum you can have in the party. So, yeah, one of the neat things about this is it's got a very narrative-driven role-playing game system. Uh, they use custom dice for uh, conflict resolution, and uh, one of the things the dice do is that you roll kind of dice that are good for you and dice that are bad for you at the same time. And if you don't get more goods than bads on the dice. Bad things happen, but it's kind of open to interpretation by the GM as to how that bad will turn out. Glenn, do you guys sell at the Barrister the custom dice for the system? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you have to. Yeah, you really can't play it without it. You read through the rules there. There's no way to substitute out for your your favorite dice. You're going to have to develop new favorite dice with this game. So That almost sounds a little bit like the Fate system. A little. You know, it's definitely, you see some of this in the 5th edition of D&D and, and this type of game. I think that there's been a lot of cross-pollination back from the indie role-playing game movement back into more mainstream or larger uh, publishing titles. So you see this has a, a fate point economy thing in it, uh, a vague simulation of that where light side, dark side points, and the GM spends dark side points to make things worse for your team. and. Sure. You spend light side points, and it's just flipping points back and forth in the middle of the table. Oh, so okay. that's that's kind of something straight out of fate, sort of. So, uh, hmm. yeah, it's got a lot of indie sensibilities. That actually sounds really, really interesting. See, now I, now I wish I had more time to play more RPGs. <laughs> if you were going to pick up one and it was going to be something other than D&D, this would probably be the way to go. It's, the Star Wars game has really dominated the marketplace for role-playing games. After, of course, the 800-pound gorillas of D&D and Pathfinder. So. Yep. <laughs> All right, well, head on out to your local gaming store and uh, pick this up. Excellent. Okay. Well, we're going to continue on with the gaming news. We've got Ryan Murphy, who does the Galactic Gaming News uh, kind of supplement news for us, and he focuses more on the digital side of gaming, uh, console games, computer games. 
and Ryan has another update for us. So take it away, Ryan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of November 7th. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. It's been a jam-packed week thanks to BlizzCon happening on the 6th and 7th of November. So without further ado, let's get into the announcements. First up, Overwatch. It's coming spring 2016. You've got three ways to buy it. Oh, and did I mention it's coming out on next-gen consoles, PS4, Xbox One. You can pick it up for $40, PC Digital, or on the consoles and PC, you can get an Origins Edition, which comes with five skins, $60, and of course, there's the PC slash console collector's edition with a cool statue, although mind you, of the wrong uh, hero, rather, it's it's of Soldier 76, and I think Tracer would have been much better. But anyways, three new heroes announced at BlizzCon, we've got D.VA, or D.VA, I guess. She's a programmer turned Overwatch hero, from South Korea, we got Mei, a climatologist, a scientist, who is basically Mr. Freeze, and she is from China, and we've got Genji, which is the brother of Hanzo, and he's got an interesting deep story there, and also we've got the Hollywood map, which looks to be like you just fighting through a bunch of sets, which is really cool. The game is expected spring 2016. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm glad that it's a pay, a, a pay for well, it's your standard fare. You buy the game, you get all the heroes, you get whatever's included with it, and that's great. Thank you, Blizzard. Awesome. I do not need another free-to-play Blizzard game. My wallet can't take it. In the next sci-fi news, we got StarCraft. They first let up with StarCraft 2 saying, StarCraft 2 Legacy of the Void, which happens to be coming out on the 10th, more on that later, is not the end of StarCraft 2 story. They are going to be coming out with mission packs, starting with the Nova story, and those have been confirmed today, or no, rather when uh, yesterday, that they will take place years after the two years later epilogue in Legacy of the Void. So that's really cool. Looking forward to that. And I'm glad to see Blizzard getting out in front of it and saying, we are going to continue to support the story of the StarCraft universe, not just multiplayer. Now some less sci-fi news. We'll just, uh, we'll just hammer through these. Heroes of the Storm. Three new heroes, you got Lunara, a Dryad Druid, Greymane, a Worgen uh, Human King, Cho'Gal, the first co-op hero, that's going to be interesting, and the way you get it is even more interesting. New map, Towers of Doom, and finally a new mode, Arena, which is a random hero type situation. I cannot wait, that's one of my favorite modes in Smite, which is Assault, where you play a random hero, so that's really cool. WoW Legion coming summer 2016, lots of info on, new, on the new zone. Broken Isles, the new hero class, the Demon Hunter. Go check that out if you're a WoWhead uh, fan. Uh, Hearthstone, League of Explorers, new adventure starting next Thursday, so get your gold ready. And finally, Diablo. Not, not a lot of news, but a patch 2.4 overview, which includes a lot of changes. So glad to see Blizzard still supporting Diablo. And with WoW Legion and Overwatch coming out next year, you can see that Blizzard probably is uh, saving Diablo's expansion in their back pocket for next year. Uh, 20, sorry, in 2017. So that's BlizzCon. Whew, lots of news. Still more news to come. I'm recording this Saturday morning, and there's a bunch of panels that are going to start, so I'm sure there'll be even more stuff to talk about next week. But until then, we should talk about all the stuff that's actually going to be taking up your time next week. Three big releases on November 10th. It is a black hole of time known as Fallout 4, Legacy of the Void, and Rise of the Tomb Raider. So if you own an Xbox One, this is going to become a tougher decision because 
I'm in the boat where I'm like, well, I really dug Fallout 3 and a new Bethesda RPG. Yes, please, more of that. StarCraft 2's finishing story, Legacy of the Void. Let's not kid ourselves. I've already pre-ordered it. Rise of the Tomb Raider, Xbox One exclusive for the time being. I'm a huge fan of that Tomb Raider reboot. And now I'm stuck. I I already have Legacy of the Void, so I've made that decision. But Tomb Raider and Fallout 4, which do I get? Hmm. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know. I haven't picked up either yet, although I watched that uh, Fallout 4 launch trailer. Superb. Go check that one out. Yeah, let me know. All right, before we head out here, I want to give everybody a quick heads up. Extra life. You may be wondering, why aren't you streaming instead of uh, record instead while rather than recording this? Well, Extra Life for the Gamers Inn is taking place on November 14th for the explicit reason that we just discussed above, BlizzCon. It's kind of odd that Extra Life had set their date on BlizzCon, but one of their mantras is that you can play your 24 hours whenever you want. So we moved ours to the 14th. We're starting at 10 a.m. Eastern and going until 2 a.m. Eastern. That is our prime time schedule. There will be streaming outside of that, but that's the guaranteed hours. And you can go to gamersinpodcast.com slash live to watch that. But if you want information, the main point is to donate, help the kids, help the gamers, help the kids. Go to bit.ly slash TGI2015, and TGI is all caps. Any amount of money is super appreciated. It's 100% tax deductible, 100% goes to the kids. And as far as I know, they've raised $5 million so far this weekend. So kudos to Extra Life, and kudos to you fine folks that are donating to our team and other teams for that matter. Thank you. This has been Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, be sure to check out The Gamers Inn at gamersinpodcast.com. Each week, Jocelyn Moffat and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. As I mentioned, BlizzCon has been dominating The Gamers Inn lately. Jocelyn was in LA when we recorded last, so I was joined by Bo Swartz from Core to talk about Heroes of the Storm and our predictions for BlizzCon, some of which were spot on, some of which were batshit crazy. So look forward to that, and uh, next week Jocelyn returns and we'll probably talk about her time at BlizzCon and all the crazy announcements that's got our hair buzzing. So thank you for listening. A little bit longer episode of Galactic Gaming News, there's a lot to talk about. I look forward to hearing what you think I should get, Fallout 4 or Rise of the Tomb Raider. I have a feeling Fallout 4 will win by a landslide, but I don't know. Curious. Let me know. You can email me, um, info at gamersinpodcast.com if you have any thoughts, or use my website, ryanmurphy.ca's contact form. Anyways, thanks again for listening. Have a great weekend, and happy BlizzCon. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Next up... We're going to talk about our Kickstarter Spotlight. And last week, we talked about Cheap-Ass Games uh, Revamp. Revamp may not be the best word for it. Basically making a deluxe set, a 19.5th anniversary edition. It's been 19 and a half years since they introduced the game called Kill Dr. Lucky, which... We said last week is almost like taking Clue and spinning it around. Um, Instead of you trying to solve the mystery in Clue of who killed Mr. Body, you're actually in the process of trying to kill 
Dr. Lucky, who would be the equivalent of Mr. Body. And you have to be alone in the room with Dr. Lucky to, uh, and nobody can see you in adjoining rooms to accomplish the task. So, um, yeah, Cheap-Ass Games is doing a full-on box set. Now, back when this was first released, you got a envelope version and you assembled the board out of individual um, cardstock which had the board and you put that together and uh, you went to town but this new deluxe edition you get the full box you get uh, beautiful pieces uh, excellent cardstock and um, some additional things depending on uh, what pledge level you join at but essentially fifty dollars gets you gets you the game and when we I can't remember what they were at last time we talked, but they've got five days to go, and their pledge level that they wanted to hit was forty thousand dollars. <laughs> As of right now, they have oh good lord, almost nineteen hundred backers, and uh, yeah. they're at one hundred and thirty-six thousand uh, dollars. Well, just under one hundred and thirty-seven thousand, uh, and so they they definitely made the magic happen there. Um, which unlocks stretch goals, which, let's see, there we go. So they hit their, oh, nope, they've got one, looks like one left to, two left to go at 140,000, which they are just, just shy of, and I have a feeling that they might hit that before this wraps up. Uh, they're going to offer a photo pairs deck, which is uh, photo character cards. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Photo character cards was unlocked. Uh, the pairs, oh, the pairs deck is a, uh, is a separate game that they offer, but these are going to be photos from the Lucky Mansion, the Kill Dr. Lucky Mansion. So it's just an alternate version of their pairs game that is available as a $10 add-on, but... Um, if oh boy, if they really rally here, and they get to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they're going to have an alternate old consulate board, as they call it. Um, so you get uh, it's based on the old consulate inn, which maybe has some significance to the cheap ass crew. Um, Glenn, do you pick up the reference? What was which what was the reference again? I missed Old that. Old consulate. Does not ring a bell with me. Okay. Well, regardless, um, boy, they really need to rally in five days to to hit that. But well, most campaigns enjoy quite a lot of success in their final few days. Yeah, and especially yeah. I'm sure that cheap ass with a name like cheap ass and the amount of great quality games that they put out over you know the past two decades uh, <laughs> I, I, I think are you guys familiar with kick track uh, pardon are you familiar with kick track uh, no I am not all right so it's kick traq is the website Okay. Uh, it uses it collects data on uh, Kickstarters that are in progress and have finished, 
and uh, you can look up things like Kill Dr. Lucky on there. And it will do things like tell you how much money it's made each day, uh, what its projected overall amount will be. Uh, you're right, I think, in observing that, that they're quite a bit over the amount they were hoping to get. Uh, KickTrack says 341% on Kill Dr. Lucky, which is nice. It's always nice when you're running a campaign to get a, de a decent turnout. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get the web page to come up now, see what the projected, although the trending thing on KickTrack isn't very good, it, it, it suggests they'll probably get 162000 by the end. Okay. Okay. Well, that would be really cool. Boy, they've, had a, they've had a really steady increase. That's really good. Most Kickstarters have a lull in the middle where very few people pledge, and uh, these guys seem to be doing pretty good in the middle. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll make it. Yeah, I, I, I wish those guys such success because they've they've given so much to so many for such a low cost. Um, yeah, that was their right in the company name, eh? Cheap ass games, absolutely. And when we uh, we talked about, um, boy, I think it's when we had uh, Roland Coons on talking about his his game game company that's kind of along the lines of of cheap ass. And and we, I had some of my um, like Renfield, like the original and the and the white envelope. Um, and uh, you know, again, that the focus of Cheap Ass always was, you know, get somebody uh, a really good game for eight dollars, and then you recycle Monopoly money, or you know, maybe it's making an assumption that you have six-sided dice, and and so on. So it's basically getting you the core to get you up and running for a game, and just making assumptions that you already own the other bits. So, and. Uh, highly successful <laughs> so uh, but they do uh, on occasion uh, put out deluxe editions of, of their games like I think in a previous episode I had my um, give me the brain uh, deluxe deck that uh, that they put out and um, so whenever they offer deluxe games uh, versions of their games it's always it's always good to get on board with that because they really kick out all the stops and then do all the best that they can to to make sure that they put out a quality product worthy of their name. So, um, yeah. This like is said, also their premier title. Cheap ass games' biggest and most successful title was Kill Doctor Lucky. So, yeah. They to the point that people will even do cosplaying live action, full size events <laughs> at conventions, in which people dress up as the characters and. It, and play out the game standing on a convention floor. So it's, <laughs> it's a big title for them. Uh, see, I would love to go to a convention and be a part of something like that. That would be really cool. Uh, like we said, $50 gets you the game, and that's, you know, we were talking about um, uh, Glenn's game. Um, and now, of course, the name totally escapes me. Cargo Noir, uh, same, same price range. Um, but we can tell you from 20 years of them having this game out, the Kill Dr. Lucky game out, it, it is a great game uh, and, and definitely well worth playing and well worth owning a good uh, quality uh, premier edition of the game. So if you haven't jumped on board this Kickstarter, um, I, I, I think I'm safe in saying all three of us would recommend 
definitely getting getting a copy of this. So, of course, I am speaking for the two of you. <laughs> would I would I be presuming too much? No. no. Kill Doctor Lucky is a very solid game. Yeah. Definitely worth having in your your game closet. Uh, okay, so that's a wrap-up for last week's Kickstarter. Uh, what do you have for us this week, Glenn? Well, this one's not so much uh, a game as it is a game aid if you are doing, say, a Star Wars LARP. Oh, Glenn. Uh, they have made a foam lightsaber that actually lights up. Uh, so this is uh, Kalamacil. Uh, they're LED saber. So it's an actual lightsaber you can do basically kind of, uh, you can actually sword fight with while still having the light-up glow of a, of a lightsaber as opposed to the typical ones where if you have a light-up one, it's made of like, you know, glass or plastic, which would smash if you hit something with it, or you just have foam that doesn't light up. This gives you the joy of both worlds. You can hit people with a lightsaber now without, you know, actually killing them or chopping their arms off. We're leaving them on the side of the volcano to burn to death and then become Darth Vader, who will then wreak havoc for years and years and years. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. There's another one where they have an interesting goal where their goal is 56100 I'm sorry. Their goal is $38,529. They have made so far $56,129. Now... This is not a cheap item to get in on. No. Um, they've got a couple smaller things you can get in on, or you can get a handle, or, or just for $130 you can get, sorry, $99, because this is, I believe, Canadian money. Um, $99 you can get just the foam lightsaber, no electronics. Uh, to get actually the light up where it, uh, it'll light up the blade and everything, that starts at $172 um, for the vibro, the, the basic handle. Um, and then you've got the, what is it, 210, and yeah, 210 for the basic red or blue. Um, we've got the advanced ones where you can have multiple color effects, and you can have uh, all sorts of other special things with it. I mean, it goes up for, there's a lot of different levels on this one. I mean, you've got $727, you can get two plasma uh, kits, and going all the way up to, wow. $3,800, It gets you eight. Yeah. Uh, they already have one person who did pledge uh, $2,500. That was uh, to be on the design team. Oh, my, yeah, there uh, it is. One person did do a $2,000, which actually $1,530 US dollars for four blue and four reds. So it's some pretty nice stuff. I mean, it's got, if you go to like with, with the Master, which is the more expensive one, You've got the replaceable blade, uh, the different colors, uh, different color patterns. It has Bluetooth, iOS, Android apps. It has a belt clip. It's got upgradable firmware. It's got a sound and speaker, a motion detector, uh, and a USB charger. <laughs> so, you really want to go all out, man? You pick up, you know, one of the one of the masterclass ones, which started three hundred and forty-four dollars, which sounds like a lot of money, but dude, it's a lightsaber. <laughs> a lightsaber you can actually hit people with. Yeah. So, oh wow. And that's for the super advanced one. You know, that's that's the master. And yeah. If you want to light up one, you can go with the basic vibro, which, as I said, was 172. No, 210. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
210. Oh, there we go. Oh, no, 172. That's correct. God, there's, there's just there's like 58 different pledge levels. So it's, it's hard to keep track of them all. Yeah, um, it's a little confusing. Yeah. So they're definitely going to go through with this because, as I said, the goal was 38, 529, 259. They're already at 56, 129. There's still 24 days to go. So... Yeah, and th- as I recall, and when you, as soon as you mentioned this, I'm like, oh, I think it was on io9. I uh, yeah, that's where I originally found it was on io9. Okay, okay, yeah. That might explain their big jump. Yeah. <laughs> well, they only have they only have 140 backers, so they've raised yeah. fifty six thousand dollars with 140 people. Yeah. Well, you know, and. To be honest, with all the hype with Star Wars right now, this is the yeah. perfect time to release it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, dude, they have 28 people who who pledged nine hundred seven hundred twenty-seven dollars to get two of the masters. Yeah, that's it's a lot. You know, that's that's almost half their money right there is those 28 people. Yep. <laughs> Die-hard fans. So yeah, if you are a huge fan of of Star Wars. And, and want to have a safe sword that you can actually swing around and not worry about breaking it or hurting someone or, you know, breaking vases and stuff in your home, <laughs> swinging it around. Um, yeah, this is the way to go. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, the company, uh, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Calamacil or Calamacil or whatever it is, I mean, they've been doing foam weaponry for a long time. I mean, these guys know what they're doing already. So, I mean, they're not just, this is the first thing they've done. I mean, they already do foam swords and axes and all that stuff and armor, clothing, all sorts of stuff they already do. So they've been, you know, if, you, if you're a LARPer and you do this kind of stuff, you probably have already heard of them. Sure, and yeah, uh, looking at their, I'm sorry, I need to do the screen share again here so that folks that are checking us out on YouTube can see this. But, yeah, they have a wide, a wide variety of, of different swords, maces, axes and just um, costuming. The bat, yeah. They they've got a lot Atlantean. Oh, wow. And they do metal armor as well. So, yeah. So I mean, they've been doing a lot of stuff. Not so, their first rodeo. So you know not that Not their what, first rodeo. <laughs> Definitely not. To be a to be a successful uh company like uh uh, to offer that variety of, of different product. If you focus on one thing and do it well, that's one thing. But if you can focus on a number of things and do it well and offer things like this and expand and grow, um, you know, there's a lot going on with that company. They're, they're doing things, uh, well you can infer that they're doing things very well and they're going to, you don't have that kind of success by putting out uh, a crap product. So <clears throat> if you have plenty of money that you uh, is burning a hole in your pocket and you have $172 and you want to get yourself ready for um, Star Wars premiere parties, <laughs> uh, this might be the way, the way for you to go to get a, a really nice looking, uh, LED saber, and they're make, they're being very careful not to say lightsaber, so they don't yes. get sued by LED Disney. LED saber. Yes. So, now that's a that's a very good find and a great share. Very cool. All right. Well, we're gonna move on now with our discussion with Eric about Protospiel. 
Now, he talked a little bit about Protospiel, what it is, and kind of what the mission is, and that is to kind of crowdsource making better games. So if you have a game idea, you get together with the, with folks from the, from the, the local, what do you want to call it, the local group uh, of protospielers and discuss the game idea that you have or as you walk through the stages, it sounds like, you keep getting feedback and tweak your game to make it as good as you as you possibly can based on that feedback and, and notes that you're you're taking through the process. So um how did you get involved? I guess that would be my first question, Eric. Well I uh, got involved probably about two thousand ten ish or so. Uh, I'm friends with some people who do some uh, run some game companies, do some game production, and uh, they were headed off to uh, the mother event in Michigan. So Protospiel is a convention, a game convention, and it'll often have 100, 140, 150 attendees. Uh, almo almost all of them game designers, all interested in working on not just one, but usually several games each. Uh, that needs a lot of testing. So um, my friend uh, James suggested why don't you come along you're pretty good at testing these things and uh, enjoy playing games in general and uh, so I did and uh, there was also a contest that was held through the Chicago Toy and Game Fair uh, that I had participated in I, I do enjoy participating in online game design contests uh, although I haven't done as many recently as I used to do um, and I had done pretty well in our local, uh, in a local meetup. They had voted my game at the time uh, to go to the Chicago Toy and Game Fair and get pitched to a company, Rio Grande Games. Hmm. Uh, I wish the pitch had gone better. <laughs> the game was a little rough around the edges and I think not quite the thing that they were looking for. But between that experience with the Chicago Toy and Game Fair and uh, heading out to Protospiel in uh, Michigan, that's how we kind of got started on it. Okay. What what's the difference between okay let me back this up if if somebody is critiquing a game what is the best boy I'm trying to find a good way to phrase this anybody can say anything they want to about a game what is what makes a good quality piece of feedback on a game. Ooh, right to the jugular with the tough question. Um, <laughs> I've written a lot of big articles about uh, how to be an effective playtester. I could share some links at some point with you. Yes, I'd have please. to dig them up. Uh, but to be a good playtester is really depends on uh, a variety of things. First, uh, I think that one of the things you need to do is find a way to look beyond your personal tastes. Uh, not every game is for every person, and if all you're going to do is, t is play a game and say, well, I liked it or I didn't like it, that's uh, not really helping very much in the protospiel design and development. See, when you're working with other designers, other artists, in building their games and building your games, we're not just here to like it or not like it. We're here to work on it and make it better. So a big part of that is finding a way to look past your personal taste and say, well, Ask questions. Ask intriguing and, and uh, insightful questions about the game you're looking at. Is uh, is this game 
for a particular group of people? Will that particular group of people like it? Uh, is it not going to match for the kind of tastes of that particular group? Is it not focused on a particular group? Uh, a lot of those things you can get uh, out at the beginning of a, a good playtest session starts off with asking the designer, what are you looking to get out of this test? Is, sure. Are you looking for, uh, you know, did I have a good time? Or are we looking to evaluate, hey, I just added this new starting position and I want to know whether it's good or bad for the game. So okay. sometimes it can be very specific, but uh, I think the best thing you want to do is try to find the context that this game is supposed to exist in and evaluate it from that capacity. Okay. How hard would you say it is to put aside personal bias and personal preference to 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 give a really quali good quality review? I think that's a practice skill. Playtesting is a lot like designing. It's a lot like a lot of things. It's the more you do it, the more you work at it, the better you get. Um, but anybody, I mean, there's value in even not doing that. Even though I think there's a lot of the elite level playtest is one that looks past your personal preferences. Uh, even a basic level playtest is really valuable. Uh, getting a feel for whether people had a good time or not is the essence of uh, is this game a success at its sure. foundation or not. So uh, how do you get used to that? I think you, you have to play a lot of games and you have to work at designing games yourself. Even yeah. if you don't work at it in a serious capacity but more in a Amateur capacity, I think the very first thing I ever did when I was a kid, Tom Wham's Dragon Magazine game, uh, King of the Tabletop, uh, <laughs> had, had different lands that your your little fantasy adventure monsters would come from, uh, swamps and mountains and forests, and I thought, I'm going to add another uh, type of thing to that. So I made ocean tiles and ocean creatures that would be part of that game. That was just goofing off, right? That's sure. kids goofing off. But... Uh, more advanced design is really just grows out of that. So I think that's what you need to do. Look at a lot of games, play a lot of games, see a lot of games, understand how games go together, uh, learn the lingo, and uh, learn to kind of look into the thing that you're working on beyond just is this fun or not. Okay, okay. Um, I guess my next question would be, you know, Glenn and I have talked about in the past that it is possible to make a fun game out of out of just about any situation or premise. Based on your experience and the testing that you've done, would you say that that is an accurate statement or would you put a caveat on that? Well, a lot of things are fun based not so much on what you're doing but who you're with. So, yeah, okay. a lot of things can be fun. Sure. Uh, even misery can be fun with the right people. <laughs> so um, we often have a lot of fun playtesting games, even if they're pretty rough around the edges at Protospiel. Uh, that has a lot to do with spending time with people who are your peers and working on the project together. Um, but yeah, you guys are right. I mean, there are some things that push people's buttons or boundaries. I guess I've seen a lot of games like that over the years, and I'm not sure those are as successful as uh, other things. Uh, but the, that range is pretty big, and I think it's pretty obvious in terms of human nature the things that aren't, aren't going to work out as well. You know, I've certainly seen some exotic subject matter in games that maybe uh, wasn't the best choice. Fair enough. 
Um, you know, in the process of uh, in the process of seeing all these games and testing them, can you think of any game that the first time it was brought to the table, um, notes were given back and the designer went back to the drawing board and based on those notes, the game almost changed entirely. Would you say you've seen some games like that where it's like they started out with maybe a specific premise and then based on those notes, it like diverged radically from the original vision. Have you seen things like that? Many, many times. I'm okay. personally responsible for that. I've had it happen to many of my own games. Uh, that is my favorite way to work on games during a protospiel design convention. Uh, I'm a, the king of try it, change it, try it again. Uh, sure. This all comes out of a very common design paradigm for uh, computer software called Agile, where you want to yeah. interact with your users and uh, get an improvement in the result uh, right away by changing things as you go. Uh, many playtests of games will change the game uh, as it goes. And uh, many games start off, especially because essentially a game designer is an artist. And uh, you often have a vision for art. And the art vision that you have at first may seem like a great idea to you in your mind or on paper. But the more you work at it, the more this it doesn't come together in the right way. And you're forced to go off in a new direction uh, and change things to make them better. So, yes, that is a very common uh, situation. Okay. Where would you say that you find some of your greatest inspiration for games in, in, in the games that you design and put together? Definitely, I'd say there are really two things. The first thing is playing games, and the second thing is being with gamers. Uh, nothing uh, really gets you going on games like seeing other games, seeing neat ideas in other games, seeing neat uh, themes, seeing neat mechanisms. Uh, playing games is uh, just leads to more... Gaming leads to more gaming. Geekdom <laughs> leads to more geekdom. So, uh, that's definitely the one of the, uh, one of the founding principles of Protospiel is collaboration. You're there for oh. the same results that you're looking to get. Uh, did we get a drop? Just for a brief second. Just for a brief second. You, oh, I'm sorry about that. No, that's um, fine. Uh, would, you, would you back that up and say that one more time, please? You're spending time at, a, at an event like Protospiel, a, a collaborative design and development event, with people who are your peers. And these are the best people to... Because you're really... That's the essence of collaboration. Putting multiple people's experiences... and Someone will remember one thing that other people don't or see something that other people don't. That's the, the value in sharing and collaborating. So being with other people is a big part of it, too. Okay. Um, what would you say are some of, obviously, besides uh, Protospiel, what are some other venues that you think are great um, places to, to play test games? So Protospiel is so intense and so uh, heads down, uh, you really can't do that every week. Uh, <laughs> It, there are four major protospiels in the local Midwest area now uh, with this new event coming in Mil in Minneapolis in January. Um, that'll be uh, 
about what it'll take. We have one per season right now, and more than that would get to be pushing it. It is a, a whole game convention after all. But that's no reason why you can't do your own local meetup. I host a, a local game meetup at a local game store where we do essentially the same thing that we do at Protosphere. We just do it with 12 people instead of 100 people. Uh, sure. So uh, having a local meetup, especially at a game store, that's a great way to get uh, the same kind of work done. Uh, I know that a lot of people, if you can manage to build a decent prototype for your game, uh, the kind of thing that other people uh, less interested in design development, more just gamers, everyday gamers want to play, attending local game conventions and offering to run your event as a, as a play, you don't really have to call it a play test, it's more of a playing, actually, just straight up playing. Uh, that's a great way to get more done. Um, Nothing like a local game night. Uh, it's hard sometimes to prevail upon your friends. Hey, man, this is my clunky, weird robot that I built, and I'd like you to spend a half an hour looking at it. That, that can be a hard sell, but, you know, these people are uh, your friends or something. So, uh, yeah, I, that's another great way to get more testing and, and work done. Uh, and then there's the uh, high, lonely... Uh, necessary uh, doing it yourself in the basement when you're not doing something else so yeah. uh, you definitely got to do solo testing too that's a definite improvement opportunity for improvement even if it's not the most inspiring or uh, productive sometimes okay um, what resources would you recommend to uh, for gathering feedback so say you're doing a local event and you're playtesting the game, and you want to get that feedback from people. In in my so, head, oh, I, I'm go sorry. Ahead, go ahead. No, in go in ahead. my head, just doing a verbal face-to-face -face is good for the short term. But do you recommend having like sheets made up ahead of time so that people can write down their comments, or how do you typically go about doing that? When I run Protospiel Milwaukee, I do provide a large stack of uh, forms for people to fill out. Um, the truth of the matter is when you have the designer there, um, there, there really is no substitute for face-to-face. -face. Uh, you get the, the, so much of human interaction is, you know, the non-written, non-spoken, interpersonal aspects of communication. And there, you get a lot from people uh, when you get to spend time with them. That's that's the essence and nature of Protospiel. So I really think being with people when they test it is a is the first way to get uh, okay. design and development done. But you know, not everyone has the time or inclination. So forms, I do I do think form is a useful thing. Um, I have personally sent games to uh, testers. Um, who provide their feedback uh, through channels not dissimilar to this, uh, YouTube videos or recordings, audio recordings, uh, roundtable discussions about their from their test group. So whatever you can get is, I think, great. Uh, you just really have to get that feedback. So. Sure. Okay. Uh, what advice would you would you give to people who um, are wishing to design their own game? Come to Protospiel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, I think if you look around the web and follow the word Protospiel around and find other people's podcasts, you'll hear the same thing over and over. You'll never get a more productive start. No, 
you'll never see better results in the working on your game than working it with other people at an event like Protospiel. Uh, I definitely think that's the, uh, it's fun to joke about it, but it's also deadly serious about the whole thing. Yes, this is the most productive you will ever see. Uh, apart from that, nothing really pays off like experience. Uh, play lots of games. Go to BoardGameGeek, look at the top 100, if not the top 1,000. Play as many different ones as many times as you can. Learn the lingo, follow uh, various websites. BoardGameGeek is one, but there are others. Um, board Game Designers Forum and stuff like that. Um, you you need to participate with other people, uh, but you need to get that hardcore experience of learning the best of the best and things that other people have had success with. So play lots of games <laughs> and, and be with other people. That's that's the best stuff for coming up through the ranks. Sure. Okay. And it's it's one thing to and and double check me on this, but it's one thing to play a game, but it's another thing to play a game and actually think about what specifically makes it successful, correct? Oh, totally. Uh, there's watching a movie, and then there's having a critical opinion of that movie. Sure. So uh, it's, it's very much the same thing. Uh, but, you know, you can't... In order to have a decent critical opinion of films, that's why the first thing of literary criticism or film criticism is watch a ton of films or read a ton of books. So the same is kind of true of games. To have a, a, a refined opinion about games and understand the nuances and differences, you really got to play a lot of games. Uh, that's Nothing's going to substitute for experience in that regard. So. Sure. Now, uh, you mentioned that there's going to be a new protospiel uh, in January in Minneapolis, did you say? Uh, this is the latest uh, extension of the Protospiel network. Uh, Protospiel isn't really a thing that is owned. It's more of an idea uh, and a spirit uh, that people hold events in. And uh, some friends, uh, Matt Warden and Jeff King of All Us Geeks, uh, decided after participating in Protospiels in Michigan and Milwaukee that this is the kind of thing, they have a very active and large game community in Minneapolis as well, just like we do have one in Milwaukee and in Madison. Um, so I think they looked for an opportunity to host their own kind of event. It's, it's really rewarding, and if you're involved in the Kickstarter scene or the uh, game design and development scene, work for a game company or have aspirations to sell your designs to game companies, uh, you'll fall in love with Protospiel if you go. Uh, so much so that you'll probably start thinking about running. I know Luke Laurie at Celesticon in California also is another person who's had some experience with this and then said, well, I've got to do this myself with my own local people. So. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, besides the Michigan, uh, Chelsea, Michigan, uh, there's one in Australia, Yeah. one in Houston, uh, uh, the event in Milwaukee, then San Jose and Madison. Yeah, uh, and more. There's some in Houston. There have been some on the East Coast, a uh, uh, couple in Canada. Uh, it's that, that all goes to the idea that it's not really something that's owned by somebody. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Protospiel is more an idea 
sharing uh, work, working together, collaborating. Um, that's really, uh, as long as you can follow in that spirit, uh, hosting your own event is, we often have, there are several big Facebook groups that, uh, one in particular for Protospiel, uh, where we often get people coming by and it's like, how can I run my own person? Well, first of all, you do what I did, which is rent a ballroom, I guess. There's, there's no one, no step before deciding I'm going to do it. Like there's nobody sure. to check with. There's nothing to do. Uh, we are, if you're into protospiel, you get kind of into the spirit of protospiel, which is uh, collaborative work. So it's not really kind of kosher to do it to make money or do it to uh, promote yourself. Uh, it's a work session uh, more than anything else. Okay. Yeah. So it's not franchised by any means. It's something that if you believe in 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 the spirit of Protospiel and are willing to observe it, um, you are free to start your own local group. Then that's that's really cool. And you don't have to start with something so ambitious as a you know renting a ballroom and having a big convention. Like I said, uh, we spend more time of the year is on local meetup groups. So. Nothing, nothing will help you get started like starting a meetup group at your local game store and inviting people to bring their games to test. Absolutely. So, and, you know, anybody that's interested in, in making their own games, you know, by all means, uh, go to your local game store, uh, get a group of people together, put your heads together, and... Uh, do some serious work, and you can make some some fabulous games and um, and and release them upon the world. So that's uh, that's just really cool. It, it, the whole idea behind games and gaming is getting a group of people together, and the only way that you can really test a game that would you know that is going to be for a group of people is obviously to have a group of people get in put their heads together and actually give the feedback as to, you know, whether it's fun or, you know, maybe what could be tweaked, what could be added. And um, I just think that's really, really a cool extension of, and really you can't develop a game in a vacuum really and have it be successful. I don't think that that's necessarily possible. So well, it's, it's not just for yourself, right? It's for other people. So yeah, absolutely. want to see what other people feel about it. Yep. You may think you have the greatest idea in the world, but until it actually gets tested <laughs> with other people, that's when you'll really know if, if it is a good idea. And um, and you can't be myopic and just think that this one thing is going to be it. You know, once it. Once you actually test the mechanics of it, you may find that it doesn't work the way you thought it was going to at all. So, yeah, no, this is really cool. And, uh, yeah, by all means, uh, for those of you who are listening, you should follow in the spirit of Protospiel and start your own local game group and, uh, and, and test games, make games, have fun. Uh, that's, that's really what this is all about. So thank you very much, Eric. I'm really glad that you came on and, and talked about Protospiel and, and, and testing games and making really cool games. It doesn't, you don't have to be, a I'm trying to think of it. You don't have to be a, a Wizards of the Coast to make a game, you know. Too true, especially with this era of crowdfunding. Yeah. Uh, there's yes. a lot of stuff you need to learn and study to make a successful crowdfunding effort, but it's that's what it's for, right? Yeah. Uh, 
democratizing the access to getting it done. So. Yeah, I, not everybody has that capital lying around <laughs> waiting to be spent to make your game. Um, you know, the, the steps really are coming up with that idea, play testing it until you have something really good, and then putting it on uh, some kind of crowdfunding source, be it Kickstarter, GoFundMe, whatever, and that's the next step uh, on the way to get it into other people's houses and in their hands. So um, playtesting is going to be the crucial, probably the crucial part of this whole puzzle because nobody's going to fund something that's not a really well, well-polished idea. So, um, no, thank you very much, Eric, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, next up, Hello, My Name Is. That's your opportunity to tell us about your favorite character that you've enjoyed playing. Uh, we talked about um, uh, Flight of Fan... Uh, oh, gosh. We talked about Star Wars and uh, uh, Fantasy Flight Games. I keep wanting to switch those two words around. <laughs> Flight of Fantasy is not a company. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games and... Uh, their version of Star Wars. You know, maybe you you played a Scout, maybe you played a Jedi that you really enjoyed um, uh, playing in that particular setting. Tell us about it. We'd love to hear about it. You can go to Adventure Party, uh, the Adventure Party page on gncasts.com. Just look for the podcast Adventure Party. When you click on that link to the page, we have a link for Hello, My Name Is, and you can click on that, and there's a little form to fill out. Yes, we do ask for your email address. No, we do not spam you. We do not save the addresses. Well, we save the addresses long enough to send you a certificate for participating and thanking you for taking the time to uh, contribute your character uh, to the conversation, and uh, we talk about that character and why you think it was so cool to play, and... Um, uh, from time to time, uh, former guest uh, Roland Coons will uh, say, hey, he's got some free time and he'd love to uh, design one of your characters based on uh, what you send to us. So uh, we never know when Roland has uh, some free time and is willing to do that for us. So uh, please uh, send in your character and perhaps you could get a, get a bonus, uh, an illustration of your character uh, that we will send to you. So... Uh, again, go to uh, galacticnetcasts.com or gncasts.com, a shortened version of that URL, and uh, you just check out Adventure Party and uh, get the details there. Uh, you can find uh, Adventure Party, like I said before, on gncasts.com, but you can also find us uh, on social media outlets like Twitter and Facebook and uh, Google Plus for as long as that's going to be around. Uh, also, uh, our YouTube channel, and you can find all those outlets on gncasts.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, where we have our audio version of the of the show, take a moment to give us a review, please. Um, let us know uh, what you're thinking. Is was the show good? What was particularly good about it? Is there something we could tweak? Maybe we need to spend a little bit more time on a. a perhaps a kick part, uh, Kickstarter spotlight. Maybe we need to dedicate less time to something else. Uh, your opinions are appreciated, and uh, we definitely talk about them uh, when you send them to us. So uh, take a moment and let us know what you think. Uh, you can help shape the show and uh, make it better for everyone. Uh, you can also leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com, uh, or you can call uh, 80, or text 
just to be clear. Uh, 805-328-3966, and you can leave a message, or like I said, you can text us. You can also, if you have a microphone attached to your computer, go to gncasts.com, and on the left-hand side of the page, the lower left, uh, is a link for uh, you to leave a message. And like I said, if you have a microphone attached to your computer, you click that, you can leave us a voice message directly on the website. It converts it to an MP3 and shoots us an email, and uh, then we have the audio, and we can play it and uh, talk about what, what's on your mind. Um, Eric, where can people find out uh, more about you and, uh, and Protospiel? Well, uh, I think the best places to look up Protospiel uh, are protospiel.org and protospielmilwaukee.org. Uh, Protospiel is P-R-O-T-O, like prototype, and S-P-I-E-L, spiel, German for game. So Protospiel. Uh, I'll send uh, you guys some links. Uh, perhaps you can include them uh, with this video. Yes. Uh, that'll cover a lot of the different events uh, that we have. Um, but it's also the kind of thing you can just look up on Google. Yes. Google's the best Google. links right away. So. Google's an amazing thing. Yeah, that's protospiel.org. And yes, we will include the links in the show notes for the audio and video version uh, of this particular episode. All right, and uh, Glenn, where can people find out more about the mighty Glenn Bittner? You can find out more about me on the Facebook. Uh, just follow. You can be friends with me. I like friends. Um, or Beamy uh, <laughs> Bunker or Mr. The RPG. You can find me on YouTube, Naked Hobo Productions, and Beamy Bunker. Or just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. <laughs> Never gets old. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks to you, Eric, and uh, you, Glenn. Uh, and thank you, listeners, uh, for joining us at the Adventure Party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.